Welcome to the Ark Church Podcast. On here, you'll find all of our Sunday and Wednesday messages, as well as classes and special services. If you would like more information about the Ark Church, visit us at thearkchurch.com or download our app available to all app stores. Our heart for you is that you would live for God, grow stronger, and make a difference. Enjoy. The Christmas season is full of expectations. And uh, I want to talk a little bit about that this morning. I want to do a bit of a different message. It's going to have a practical side and some theology in it, but then we're going to wrap it up with something that can actually pertain to what's going on in your life. But let's talk about expectations of Christmas. You know, especially as a kid. Kids have a great time at Christmas because they're expecting something. I was blessed to grow up in a home. There were always gifts. And in the morning I would wake up and there would be gifts under the tree. And so I, I skipped the wake up part. I waited till everything was quiet in the house. And I would get up in the middle of the night and go look and, and see what was mine. I just could not wait. And uh, my mother would say, Alan, stay in bed. I didn't listen. And, and so she fixed me. One, one Christmas Eve, she put an empty box. It was one of these long, wide, flat boxes about this thick. And she laid it and, it, and it covered the entire hallway. And I got up, no, no flashlight. You know, I was stealthy. And so I, I slipped out there and I hit that box and just bam, just landed on it. You know, empty boxes. The noise just echoed all over the house. I hightail it back to my bed, and I'm just sitting there in bed. <laughs> and my mother comes in, Alan, I'm not answering like I'm really asleep because you know, the noise just happened two seconds before. And I'm like, <laughs> she's like, stay in bed. And I'm like, yeah, I got you this time. So mom won, <laughs> and uh, I, didn't, I never did that again. That's expectations as a kid. Do you know when you, when you get older, expectations still change? Now it's you look in your neighborhood and all your neighbors have these beautiful Christmas lights. And your house doesn't look like that. So after a while, I just decided, well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to fix that. So I have my less than 30 minutes to install laser light show that goes up on my entire house. And... Man, I, I set new levels of tackiness in my neighborhood for, for, for Christmas. But hey, we've got spirit. Yes, we do. We've got spirit. How about you? So we, we do that and the expectations are there. But what about the expectations that come with Christmas like in the gift giving area? I can remember years ago when my kids were small and we would, would get them gifts. There always seemed to be, and you have to understand, this is before online online ordering. This is when you actually had to go to a store and physically buy something. And anybody remember Cabbage Patch dolls when the Cabbage Patch doll? Oh, that was crazy. And then, then there was Tickle Me Elbow. And, and when Tickle Me Elmo hit, it's just like, and you know, and if you didn't get the right gifts, you felt like a horrible parent. So we just finally pulled our kids in and go, listen, we're horrible parents. You're not getting this stuff. It's not, it is just helping them with their expectations. But the giving, there was a, an elderly man who, uh, his wife had gone on to be, to be with the Lord in heaven, and this was the first Christmas without her, and she'd always done the, the gifts for all the relatives. He didn't know what to do, so he got a stack of Christmas cards, and he, he wrote everyone a check. He was a very generous guy. He wrote a nice check, and on the card he wrote, buy your own gift, Merry Christmas, and, and, and sent it out, and he was surprised at, at all the family functions because no one thanked him. In fact, they kind of looked at him funny, kind of like the bless your heart look, like, you know, maybe, maybe he's starting to lose it, bless your heart. 
And he didn't know what was going on until a few days after Christmas when he's cleaning up his office, he found a stack of the checks that he never included in the Christmas cards. <laughs> so everyone gets a Christmas card that says, buy your own gift, Merry Christmas. <laughs> Everyone's favorite uncle, so that, that, that changes. But expectations about giving are different. How about expectations from family pressure? Now, we've been doing this a while, and I, I talk to young families. I'm amazed at how much some of you have to travel on Christmas. I mean, you're loading up the car. If you've got little ones, you are like, you're packing. The, there's, there's all kinds of stuff because you're going to this person's house, and then you have to be at this person's house, and then you can't miss this person's house, and then you do the tour of Texas. It, it's, it's, it's incredible. And, and you hear families talk, and it's not like they seem to really enjoy it. They just feel like it puts a lot of additional pressure. And so, you know, you've got, you've got split families and blended families, and it can get complicated at Christmas. So well, what do you do? Well, I, I think at some point in time, you just, you just establish, here, here's what we're going to do. Here's where we can be. Here's where we're not going to be. Please understand you're going to offend somebody. But you just determine what's going to work best for your family. And you go with that. It's called boundaries, but that's another whole another message. I won't go into that. But families have expectations, and those expectations bring pressure. You know, some of the worst pressure to me is the pressure that's put on by Hollywood. Hollywood has created this narrative that Christmas is a perfect time. And that you, you look at, at Hollywood. A, a few years ago, Joy uh, had really got caught up in Hallmark. And she got disgusted with Hallmark a few years ago, and I am rejoicing because we don't have to watch them anymore. But you know, in, in the old movies, in all the Christmas movies, ever notice everything works out perfectly on Christmas? And that everybody, everyone's surrounded by happy friends and happy family. And how many of you know that's not the truth? And yet, there's a narrative that says, if I am by myself at Christmas, then I am the world's biggest loser. And I want to tell you something. That is a lie from the enemy. That is such a lie. Listen, God's view of you has not changed just because it's Christmas. And what he has said about you is still true, and his belief in you is still real. And, and guess what? December 26 is the day after Christmas. And the day after Christmas, life goes on. Don't let a day define your life. And if this is a time where you have had to spend Christmas by yourself, listen, don't let it bother you. Just rejoice in the Lord and know that God's got a great plan for you. He loves you and you're going to make it through. Don't, just, don't be deterred by one day. And don't just establish that as this is the most important day of the year. Let me tell you something. Heaven, I got news for you. Heaven does not stop because it's Christmas. Heaven doesn't go, oh, it's Christmas. Heaven, listen, if there's a day that heaven really rejoices in, it was the day that Jesus was raised from the dead for our justification. So that is the biggest, that's the biggest thing. Yes, we celebrate. And I love Christmas and we celebrate it, but a day doesn't define me. I'm going to stay consistent in my heart. And the bay, that's the best way. And then handling expectations becomes a lot better. Because I want to tell you something too. If you have unrealistic expectations, they can cause great disappointment to come. And there are people that get, I mean, it's, and again, I'll go back to the Hollywood media narrative. It's like 
Everything works perfectly on Christmas. And mean old Uncle Bob, who's nasty to everybody all year long, but on Christmas, he gets hit with a dose of Christmas magic, and he is going to be wonderful. No, he's not. He was nasty the day before Christmas. He's going to be nasty on Christmas and nasty the day after Christmas. You might as well get used to it. Listen, but you're, if you're expecting Christmas magic to land on Uncle Bob, you're kidding. And so listen, don't, don't, Here's something, and I know it sounds extremely pragmatic, but it's a great way to go. Expect little, be thankful for everything. You just, listen, especially when it comes to other people. Your relatives are like, oh my gosh, Ellen, we're going to see my relatives, and it's always a fight, and it's always trouble, but maybe this Christmas it's going to be different. Probably not. So just... Pray ahead of time. Say, Lord, give me grace. Help me keep my mouth shut and get through this dinner. And then we'll go to the next place. Expect little and be grateful. You say, well, wow, we had, a, we had a peaceful Christmas. Well, you can thank God for that. But don't put every focus on a day. Don't put all this pressure on a day. Let it be something where you rejoice in it, but then you go on down the road. Expectations. Expectations can cause discouragement and they can be unrealistic. And if anyone understands unrealistic expectations, it was Jesus. Now let me shift and we'll talk about him. When Jesus came to the earth, as the, he was the Messiah, the chosen one, the one who would be the savior of Israel. But Israel didn't see him. They didn't get it. In fact, the, the, uh, the religious leaders expected the Messiah to be someone who would agree with them and all their rules and regulations and their power structure and how they set things up. And they were so upset with Jesus because Jesus not only did not agree with them, Jesus was adversarial towards them. In fact, if you read through the, the Gospels, that was the only group that he was really hard on was the Pharisees. And the Sadducees, because instead of leading people to God, their rules and regulations kept people away from God. And so Jesus, even though they expected the Messiah to agree with them, he did not. And that caused so much of a rift that they killed him. The multitudes did not get it. They had unrealistic expectation. They believed that the Jewish Messiah was going to solve all their problems. And so when Jesus came and he fed them. You remember there was a story where Jesus had 5,000 plus people who were listening to him preach. And he preached for a few days and he was concerned about the people because they were hungry and they were getting ready to go home. And, and remember he fed them. This was one of the big miracles, uh, a few loaves and fishes. And he broke them and fed them and he fed over 5,000 people. And not only did he feed them, he fed them till they were stuffed. He fed them probably until they were putting food in their pockets and carrying it home. And there were still 12 baskets left over. And these people had never seen that kind of abundance. And for the very first time, they're thinking, now we've got somebody who's going to take away the food scarcity problem. We'll never be hungry again. And they came to make Jesus their king. He had actually had to leave because they were going to take him by force and make him a king. And when they followed him to the next town, Jesus told them, he said... He said, you guys, you guys came because you got fed. You came because of the food. The multitudes thought Jesus was going to fix all their problems out here. You know, Peter didn't get it. His own disciple. Peter, who was close to Jesus, his expectations of Jesus were unrealistic. He expected Jesus to continue to be the rising star in Israel. 
that Jesus doing the miracles, Jesus doing the teaching, that Jesus was the most amazing, dynamic man in Israel. And guess who was right beside him? My man, Peter. And Peter was glad to be there because when Jesus was going up, Peter was going up with him. Peter had simply been a, a fisherman from East Texas until he, well, actually not East Texas, but he was from, <laughs> he was from the backwoods of Israel. It's kind of like deep East Texas where the sun doesn't even shine. He was just from the backwoods. And all of a sudden, he's now with Jesus. He's now in the position of prominence. He's now in the position to be one of the leaders of the country. So his expectations were great. And then Jesus said, you know, he said, I'm going to be rejected by the, by the leaders and they're going to kill me. And, and Peter's like, no, 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 Jesus. In fact, he pulled him aside and rebuked Jesus. Not a good idea. He rebuked Jesus. He said, no, not you, Lord. And Jesus <laughs> rebuked Peter. He said, get behind me, Satan. He said, you're not mindful of the things that be of God. You're mindful of the things that be of man. You're not thinking of what I came to do for mankind. You're thinking of your own position. And Peter, expectations of Jesus were off. But everyone, the disciples, the multitudes, the religious leaders, they all had it wrong with thinking that Messiah was going to return the nation to prominence again. In fact, in, in the book of Acts, Jesus had been raised from the dead. He's the resurrected Jesus. You know what their question was? The disciples said, hey, Jesus, are you going to restore the kingdom to Israel? So they were thinking, Jesus, are you going to turn things around here? Are you going to restore us? Are we going to go back to a place of prominence and power? And Jesus basically was like, guys, that is not your problem. I need you to go share the gospel. Expectations. But all the expectations dealt with what Jesus could do on the outside. No one had an idea of what Jesus could do on the inside. What he would do in the hearts of men except for one man. One man got it. His name was John the Baptist. When John the Baptist saw Jesus coming, he pointed at Jesus. He said, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. No one understood that. No one understood that Jesus would be God's sacrifice, the sacrifice that God would send, that God would come and pay the, the sacrifice for mankind, that no, mankind, the sin problem, wouldn't be a problem anymore. No one understood that except John the Baptist. And John the Baptist has always been linked with Jesus and linked with the Christmas story. John and Jesus were born just a few months apart. Both of them had miraculous births. Both of them, in fact, the angel Gabriel appeared to both John's father, Zacharias, and appeared to Mary, the mother of Jesus, and told them about this miraculous birth that's going to take place. And so they were, they were linked with that. Mary and Elizabeth were cousins. And so when Mary got, that's John's mother, Elizabeth, when Mary got pregnant and there, no one could really understand why she was pregnant, she had to get out of town and she went to her cousin Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth saw Mary coming, she, 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 she rejoiced. She said, the baby on the inside of me, John the Baptist leaped and said, the, the mother of my son, my savior has come to me. So those, those two are always linked up. But John was the only one that really saw what Jesus came to do. Everyone was thinking what he'll do out here. Change the government. Change the food problem. Change the needs in our life. Change all that. And Jesus said, no, I actually came, first of all, to do a work in the hearts of men. But it was John, and there's, a, there's another part of the story. You see, John was raised, he, he had an advantage. He was raised by a man named Zacharias. Zacharias was a priest. Zacharias was the man that, 
the angel Gabriel appeared to and told him, Zacharias, you and your wife, Elizabeth, are going to have a baby. And Zacharias did what you do not want to do. Zacharias looked at the angel and went, it was Gabriel, and went, how do I know you're telling me the truth? I'm old. My wife is well advanced in years. In other words, she's old too. And uh, we're both old. How is that going to happen? And so Zacharias, when the angel gave him good news, Zacharias pushed back on it. So Zacharias kind of gets, he kind of gets a bad rap around Christmas time because everyone talks about how Zacharias did not do the right thing and how Mary, when the angel came to Mary and said, Mary, you're going to have a baby. She's like, I'm the maidservant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. So everyone contrasts Zacharias with Mary. But remember Zacharias because he told Gabriel, I don't know if you're telling me the truth. Gabriel looked at him and said, look, I'm the angel. I stand in the presence of God and you're not going to be able to talk for nine months. And Zacharias was mute. He could not talk for nine months. And when John was born, they were going to name him Zacharias Jr. And Zacharias actually wrote on the thing, his name is John because that's what the angel said. And Zacharias had messed with that angel once. He was not going to mess with that angel again. And it's like his name is John. And when he said his name is John, his voice came back. And boy, I tell you, if you remember last Christmas, I can rejoice when your voice comes back. And his voice came back and he prophesied by the Holy Spirit. And what Zacharias does not get credit for, guys, is the fact that his prophecy was the most insightful and the most revealing of what Jesus came to do. It, 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 gives, it gives more clarity, clarity than any other prophecy in the scriptures. So I want you to see this. And this morning, I want to give you seven things from Zacharias. His father Zacharias, this, he's holding that baby. His father Zacharias was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied saying, blessed be the Lord God of Israel for he has visited and accomplished redemption for his people and has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of David his servant. To grant us that being rescued from the hand of our enemies might serve him without fear and holiness and righteousness before him all our days. To give to his people, talking, still talking about Jesus, the Messiah, to give to his people the knowledge of salvation by the forgiveness of their sins because of the tender mercy of our God, with which the sunrise from on high will visit us to shine upon those who sit in darkness and the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. Let me give you seven things this morning, seven, that are in this prophecy, things that we can see, things that, that didn't happen out here. These are things that happen spiritually. What God has done for us spiritually. So let's see the first one. He has visited and redeemed us. The fact that God would come to us. We did not go to him. We were not begging him. He actually initiated it and came to us. This is Christmas. This is when we celebrate Christmas. It's when we celebrate when God became man and dwelt among us. The fact that he would come. And not only did he come and just visit us and then point out all the things we were doing wrong, he actually came and bought us back from our lost condition. That word to redeem means to buy back. One of the best stories I'd ever heard was years ago before the digital age and even before electronics, that boys would build these little boats, these toy sailing boats, real boats. They would sail. And a boy built a beautiful little boat and he took it out on the, on the lake and he sailed it. And one day that a storm was coming and a gust of wind broke the tether and the boat slipped away from him and got downstream and he chased it, but he couldn't catch up with it and the boat was lost. So you can imagine his both surprise and his glee 
when a few weeks later he's walking through the streets of his town and in the toy store, in the main window there, sat his boat for sale. He ran inside and he told the owner of the boat, he said, that's my boat. I made that boat. I made it by hand. It took me a long time to make it. And the owner of the store just shook his head. He said, son, I'm sorry, but the man who brought it to me sold it to me. And if you want that boat, you're going to have to buy it. And the boy said, don't sell the boat. And he ran home and he got his old piggy bank and he broke it. And he got everything he had in it, all of his savings, everything he'd ever saved up. And he came back and he bought his boat back. And when he was leaving the shop, the owner overheard him say as he hugged that boat to his chest, you're twice mine. I made you and I bought you back. You see, that's the story of redemption. God made us and he bought us back. And we are, he ransomed us. We're redeemed. Number two, he rescued us from our enemies. When Jesus left the earth after being raised from the dead you realize that Rome was still the primary enemy of Israel? Rome was still in, in control. They were under the Roman authority. And so he, when, say, when, when it was prophesied that he would rescue us from our enemies, that did not look like it was true. But remember, we're not talking about what Jesus did out here. We're talking about what he's done for us spiritually. And spiritually, he has rescued us from the authority of Satan and his dominion. He has rescued us from his authority. In fact, Paul would later write, who delivered us from the authority of darkness and has transferred us into the kingdom of his dear son. No longer is Satan the Lord. No longer does he rule over us. No longer do we have to be afraid of him. We have been rescued out of his authority. He has redeemed us. He visited us. He has rescued us. And that's not all. Number four. Number three. To make us right in God's sight. Boy, this is so valuable. When, when Zacharias prophesied and spoke and said that we can serve God without fear and holiness and righteousness before him all our days, that had to sound like foreign language to these guys. Only just a few people could be holy and righteous. And it certainly wasn't them. And serving God without fear, they were afraid of God. They were afraid of what God would do. They were afraid if they messed up that God was, was such a judgmental God. So the idea that we can now have a relationship with God where we could serve him, not because we've that we did anything on our own part, but because he made us holy and righteous. And this is why Peter would later write that you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a separated nation that we could live before God and have right standing before him. Not because of what we did, but because of what he did for us. It's not out here, it's in here. Number four. Salvation through the forgiveness of sins. Boy, is this big. Salvation through the forgiveness of sins. I've been a Christian for a long time. I've walked with the Lord uh, continually now for over 40 years. And I think one of the things, we're, if we're not careful, one of the things we can actually lose sight of is the fact that we have been saved and forgiven of our sins. That our sins are no longer, that sin used to separate God and man, but our sins have been forgiven and no longer is that separation there. Jesus bridged that gap. And now we can have a relationship with God and we don't have to come to him with that consciousness of sins all the time. John would later write that Jesus loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood. Obviously he didn't wash us physically, but what he did spiritually was he took care of the sin problem. Now you hear people say things like, well, you know, I'm, I'm not as bad as so-and-so. Well, here's, here's the thing. You don't want to get into a comparison. 
Because people say things like, well, I'm not as bad as so-and-so. They usually name somebody like a serial killer or Hitler or somebody like that. They go, well, I'm not as bad as that. Right. But if you're comparing, the problem with comparing is you might not be as bad as this one, but you may not be as good as this one. See, here's the problem. Everybody's on the sin spectrum, whether mild or severe. The Bible said all have sinned and fall short of God's glorious standards. We're not comparing ourselves with other people out here. We're compared to God's standards. You say, well, I can never measure up to God's standards. That's exactly right. That's why we needed a Savior who would cleanse us and forgive us and wash us from our sins that no longer would our sins have to separate us. We could stand before God forgiven. The sin problem has been taken care of. And so that's our message to the community. That's our message to the people out there. They're like, I can't come to church. I'm a horrible sinner. This is exactly where you need to be to find out that Jesus has done something about your sin problem and you don't have to worry about it anymore. Number five, all because of the tender mercy of God. I love that word, tender mercy. Tender mercy. That's, you could say it this way, tender compassion. Because of God's compassion, not because we were doing everything right, but because that we have and serve a compassionate God. And his mercy toward us is so great. The more I, the more I, I get to know the Lord, the more I realize his mercy is so much better than ours. Aren't you glad that you're not God? Aren't you, I'm tell you, I'm glad I'm not God. Joy doesn't like me saying this, but there would be dead people all over the freeway if I was. There'd be, there'd be abandoned cars that just got incinerated because if I, I'd be. It's a good thing I'm not God, but I, in all seriousness, we got a God who is merciful to us. And there's a lot of us that would not even be here today if it wasn't for the mercy and goodness of God. And people say, Alan, I don't, I don't deserve his mercy. If you deserved it, it wouldn't be mercy. We didn't deserve any of it, but we are the recipients of it. And through the tender mercy of God. Number six, the light from God has shined on us. I love the wording in that. The sunrise from above has shined on us. If you read through the scriptures, you see there's always a contrast between darkness and light. Darkness and light. In fact, Paul wrote the church at Ephesus said, you're no longer in the dark. You're children of the light. We are now in the light and no longer does the shadow of death and no longer does the darkness and the fear and the negativity and the depression and the anxiety that breeds in the darkness, no longer does that have to be a part of our life. I grew up in a home where, where depression and anxiety were too much of a part. And I grew up, and that was just the normal course of my dealings. And so I understand what it's like to be depressed. I understand that. And guys, I want to tell you something. It is darkness. It's like you can't see. You can't see far at all. It is dark. But I've got good news for you. That has never been God's plan. And he is, his plan and his will for you is that you not live in darkness. Jesus said, if you follow me, I am the light of the world. And I tell you what, there's light that comes. There's light that can come to our minds. There's light that can come to our hearts. And we don't have to live in darkness. We don't have to live under the fear of death. I realize some of you have lost people and the, this Christmas is going to be hard because of loved ones who are not there. But the good news is if they know the Lord, then the sting of death has been taken away and death is no longer final. It may be there, but you know that one day you will see them again. And that's a wonderful day. And so we have lost that fear that gripped mankind. The fear of death because the light has come. And number six, seven, the peace is in our path. Peace of God. People have mocked Christianity for years and they've said, 
You Christians aren't real because there's no peace on earth. Well, they misunderstood what the angels were saying. The peace toward man was not peace among men. It was peace with God and man. And the peace with God, listen, as long as we're in a, an, an, on an earth where there's the curse, as long as we're on an earth where there is a Satan, as long as we're in an earth where we've got crazy people, there's always going to be problems. Wars, rumors of wars, all that stuff is going to be going on. But it does not mean that we have to live in turmoil because we have peace. When we have peace with God, we can experience the peace of God. And that peace can grow and develop in our hearts. What a wonderful thing to have peace. I can tell you, I can use, I remember lying on my bed at night and it took, used to take me hours to fall asleep. I was worrying, I was thinking, I'm, I'm going, oh, I'll, I'll go to sleep so quick now. And so why? Thank God for his peace. Seven things. Seven things that, that Zacharias prophesied by the Holy Spirit. Seven things that God would do. Now remember, he does this on the inside, not on the outside. So where does that leave us? Paul wrote the church and he said this. He said, rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I will say rejoice. I have read that verse and wondered how can I do that? Maybe you've done the same thing. How can I rejoice in the Lord? How can I rejoice because I've got things, Alan, I can't rejoice. I've got things going on in my life that are wrong. I've got relationships that are messed up. I, I've got family situations I'm dealing with. I may deal with a physical problem. I may, I may be dealing with just acute loneliness and a sense of no purpose. I've got all these things in my life out here that are wrong. How can I rejoice in the Lord? Or we're going to have to do what Paul said. Instead of just focusing on all the problems that we have out here, we need to look at the things that, because let me tell you something, all that we have out here can change. It is subject to change. But what God has done for us is eternal. And when we begin to focus on, Lord, thank you, I have salvation. Thank you, you've rescued me. Thank you, I can stand before you in holiness and righteousness. Thank you, Lord, I've got your peace and your light has shined in my life. When we begin to rejoice in that, then we're not rejoicing in things that are seen, but things that are not seen. We're rejoicing in the eternal, but here's the beautiful thing about it. When you begin to rejoice in what God's done for us, then what it does is it raises our expectations of what he can do for us out here and all the problems and all the stuff and things that we're dealing with, when we rejoice in what he's done in here, then it makes it easier to believe that God can do something. Can he help you with your relationships? Yes. Can he help you with your physical situations? Yes. Can he help you with your financial situations? Yes. But do you realize the greatest thing he did is what he did in you? That's the greatest. And this is why we understand this verse even more in Romans where Paul said, what then shall we say to these things? What things? The things we just talked about, those seven things. God's mercy, his grace, his light, his peace is in us. If God's for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all. How shall he not with him also freely give us all things? If he sent Jesus to do a work in us, will he not help us fix all this other stuff that's out here? Absolutely. And that gives us hope at Christmas. Listen, at Christmas time, listen, don't, don't lose sight. Some of you have, have been, you've understood and you've been saved such a long time, you've forgotten what a gift it is to have salvation. During this Christmas time, thank him for that. Say, Lord, I rejoice at what you have done in me. It's eternal. Pastor was talking to an elderly woman in his congregation. She knew she was reaching the end of her life. She had had a, a, a sickness and she, she knew she didn't have many more days left. She called him in. And they picked her, 
her what she was going to wear, and they picked the songs and they, for her funeral, and they picked her um, pallbearers, and they picked the scriptures she wanted read. And he's just getting ready to pray with her and leave, and she said, whoa, whoa, she said, one more thing. She said, Pastor, she said, when I, when I, when I die in my casket, she said, I want you to make sure that there is a fork in my right hand. He said, uh, I'm sorry, a fork? He said, I have buried people with pictures, jewelry, golf balls. I said, but never a fork. What's with the fork? She said, well, she said, I was, I was raised in church. I, I've been going to church dinners and potlucks all my life. She said, when, whenever you finish a dinner and they're, they're clearing away the dishes, she said, if, if someone would lean down to me and say, keep your fork. She said, I knew something good was coming. It might have been a chocolate velvet cake or maybe a deep dish apple pie. She said, I knew something really good was coming. Keep your fork because the best was yet to come. She said, so when they bury me, she said, and people walk past my casket and they see me and they see the fork in my hand, here's what you tell them. Said Sarah, that was her name. Said Sarah had a good life, but tell you what, she knows where she's going and she knows she's going to see her Savior. She realizes the best is yet to come. That's what we have. That's the hope we have. That's the Christmas expectation that we have that's stronger than anything. Would you bow your head for a moment? Heads are bowed, eyes are closed, no one moving around if you can help it. If you came this morning and said, you know what, I don't know where I stand with the Lord. Or maybe you were like I was and you had a relationship and you got away from him and you recognize that and you're saying, you know what, I want to come back. I, I want that relationship restored. We're going to say a prayer. I'm not going to have you stand up. I'm not going to have you come to the front. If you're watching online, that uh, this prayer is for you as well. But this is a prayer that to make that connection with the Lord or reconnect. Heads are bowed, eyes are closed, no one's looking around. I am going to ask you to do one thing. If that's you that I'm talking to and you acknowledge that, would you slip your hand up real quick across the auditorium and say, that's me. Thank you. Thanks. Thanks. Appreciate your courage. Thank you for that. You can put your hands down. We're going to pray. Maybe you didn't lift your hand. You wanted to or you're watching online. Obviously, I can't see you. So here, here's the thing. We're going, to, we're, going to, we're going to pray this prayer. This is a heart prayer. If, if you're by yourself watching online, pray it out loud with us. If you're with others, pray it quietly. If you're here, we're going to join you as a church family. So you pray this out loud. Say, dear God, I know mankind needs a Savior. I know I can't save myself. Jesus, I believe you're the Son of God. I believe you died on the cross for my sins. And God raised you from the dead. Right now, I confess you as my Lord, as my Savior, as the one who forgives me and restores me. Thank you, Jesus. My past is forgiven. I have a relationship with you. I'm a new creation in Christ because I've said yes to you. Heads are still bowed, eyes are closed. Father, thank you for those that prayed that prayer, for those who stepped out of spiritual darkness into the light, and for those who've come back and come back home. We rejoice with them. And Father, for the rest of us during this Christmas season, thank you for what you've done in us. Thank you that you paid a price to buy us back. Thank you, Lord. We can never and never will stop being grateful for all you've done. We give you all the praise for it. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Thank you for joining us. We hope this message has blessed you. Don't forget to check us out on all the social platforms. We're uploading encouraging content on a regular basis. For more information, go to thearcchurch.com. Have a great week.